that I feel like that's a good evil spawn movie because it's absolutely what it is. It's a cool one to pick uh, to pair with Eraserhead too. I think you know. Yeah. I think uh, there's a lot of cool, cool discussions to be had about those two. Um, but yeah, I'm ready to to kick it off then. Whenever you guys are with the, are we talking about the, the character quiz thing that we're starting quiz. with. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, a friend of mine sent it to me, so I, I took it. And then when it, I got the Marty Makowski or whatever it is, yeah. the guy, the guy who smokes a lot of pot in Cabin in the Woods, pretty good, very anti-authority, yeah. and even like pointed out MM. Absolutely, it's, it's really <laughs> spot on, like scarily accurate. Um, I think yours is really good too, Greg. I he, here's the th- I I have not watched like a full episode of lost but just from what i have seen i like hurley a lot i think he's a really cool guy i like the actor uh and so yeah i'm not gonna argue with that at all it's like 90 percent too it's like the highest percentage i saw out of anyone's it's, results it's a very he just gives such a like chill relaxed vibe Perfect. i mean you don't have like the the huge unluckiness or you know the obesity going for you but mm, not so much anymore but at one point in my life get there you know, yeah. yeah uh-huh but I, I, I've been, I've been overweight in the past, so, you know, not so much anymore, thankfully. But yeah, I, 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 I've always weirdly just looking at it, identified with him just on site. Like, yeah, that guy's kind of me. Kill yours was <laughs> yours is uh, possibly Hazel insulting. Grace. Basically, I know. You read Hazel it. Grace Lancaster <laughs> from The Fault in Our Stars. I haven't seen this movie, so I actually looked it up afterward because my initial response was like. Oh, is it just like You're somebody's dying, dying yeah. like living with a chronic yeah. illness? But there weren't any questions <laughs> about that type of thing. So I was like, what is her personality? So I looked it up a little and she's supposed to be like, like compassionate and kind, uh, but then um, kind of a little pessimistic about her death. and like That's what, what I thought. Maybe more <laughs> cynical. I, yeah. I went through the plot description on Wikipedia and it's a very interesting type movie. It's uh, so fucking ask, depressing maybe, about dying teenagers. Yeah. Did you have your first kiss in Anne Frank's attic? Because that is a plot point in the movie. Is it really? Yes. Oh what my if God. I said yes? yes. <laughs> I can't believe it. But yes. What if we figured <laughs> out like you knew the author and like, he based it off of you or something? You know, <laughs> when I which was is dying from part, actually cancer. part of the movie is they the oh yeah they write a right? yeah they exchange their favorite books and then we find out that the book is based off the author's daughter that's this, right like, who died of cancer oh my it's, god and it's our favorite Ansel Elcourt as the of course yeah. The male lead. Yeah. Um, the all I really exists. know about that movie, I, I worked in a theater when it came out. I just remember we had to have boxes of tissues as people were leaving because everyone was fucking crying leaving the theater. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> every There's... every middle-aged mother and their teenage daughter came out just weeping, you know? I said this already. She has, like, an oxygen thing going into her nose, and so maybe yeah. I thought, I was like, she's just like, it's just sad young dying child movie what the fuck and i was like well maybe she's like frank <laughs> booth from blue velvet and she's just like having a you constant stream of some sort of uh, like amphetamines or something making her fucking crazy <laughs> and that is a perfect segue into today's topic on the weekly podcast massacre where today uh we are talking about david lynch's eraser head i am so excited um i had to bring that up first before even introducing the month or myself 
Um, I should do that. I'm I am Greg from Los Angeles. I am your host for today. Uh, kicking off the new month of Hellspawn March, where we are looking at killer or evil children movies. Um, if it comes out and it's evil and it ruins your life, it's it's game for this month, I think. And so, um, so like all children, yeah, all children, say, yeah, any any movie about a child, yeah, exactly, kids <laughs> ruining your life, maybe not intentionally evil, <laughs> definitely ruining your life. Talking about this movie with me today, as always, are my two hosts. Go ahead and introduce yourselves, guys. I'm Michael from Portland, but everyone calls me Murphy. I am Kill. Yes, and uh, first, right off the gate, I gotta, I gotta ask. I, I know we're all David Lynch fans. We've all talked about Twin Peaks in various capacities and other David Lynch movies. And uh, I feel like anytime anything happens with him, it gets shared around our Discord, and we all just delight in in David Lynch's antics. But uh, where did you guys first get into David Lynch? How did you first get into David Lynch? And then, just generally, where does Eraserhead fall? in your like rankings of David Lynch movies. I grew up with Twin Peaks. My dad watched it when it aired originally and he was really oh, really wow. into it. So, uh he has showed it to me and my brother so many different times. Um I was living in a different state when The Return came out, but my dad would drive down and watch it with me every oh, weekend man. when the new episodes came out. Yeah, and um he got Showtime just to watch it. <laughs> and so yeah, he's his um bathroom is the red room, like his the floor in there. No is way. The zigzag tiles. Yep, and the uh, shower curtain is red. Oh uh, my red god! Shower curtain like that. Yep, and most of the decorations in his house, like uh, it's uh the living room is decorated like the lodge, um, the uh whoa the hotel, you know, the like hotel. it's like a wood, like a yeah. cabin, like yeah. wood cabin furniture type of stuff, and a lot of his stuff is uh posters or twin peaks stuff he's um oh my god very very into twin peaks yeah so that's my story i grew up with it and saw it repeatedly and i've actually um so there's a horror uh convention in a city where i was living the one where my dad would drive and visit me and a bunch of the cast members from twin peaks were going to be there and so i was going just because i like you know it was like my second horror con i think so i was like i'm gonna go and i was gonna go with a friend and then my dad was like oh, this will be great. I'm going to come with you. And so my friend was like, well, I don't want to like tag along with you and your dad. And I was like, oh, okay. So it was just mostly, it. so he got all the photo ops and like, I, got, I talked to Ray Wise, accidentally touched his butt and he was really nice Whoa. about it. So Whoa. I have pictures of like me, I, yeah, my, me and my dad and all the cast members. And so I've talked to a lot of them. They're all super, super nice. Um, Kimmy, the, uh, oh, I forgot her name in the oh, show. Oh yeah, Kimmy, uh, Kimmy Robertson as- um... yeah. She's super cute. She had like a little backpack yeah. and sneakers and was like walking around between um, Lucy, right? And stuff. Oh my god, and, Lucy. Yeah. 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 yeah the awesome. Super nice. See, I wish I had something that me and my dad both loved, like that amount to, <laughs> to bond over. That's funny because Twenty Peaks was was me and my mom. Uh we got Showtime just for that. And I watched that with her weekly, um, three turn. And uh, she wasn't even a Twin Peaks fan before. I showed her the series uh like shortly before season three came out. And she got really into it like later in life, um, and then we all watch we watched season three as it premiered. So, but that's that's fantastic that he's a lifelong Twin Peaks fan. Um, I, I literally have a Twin Peaks poster not hung up on my desk right here. It's under a bunch of stuff too. But it sounds like your dad has me beat in every regard. <laughs> that's incredible. It's a little, uh, Murph. It's a how about much. you? How did you uh? How did you get into David Lynch? 
I remember, so I've always, you know, loved movies in, in general. And I got a job when I was 16 at a movie theater. And one of the people kind of took me under her wing. And she's very, uh, uh, a very weird type of gal that she would like have a bunch of husbands. She would like work oh. husbands that she would marry <laughs> and eventually like propose. And I got proposed to one day. Aww. It was a very weird thing. But she <laughs> uh, opened my eyes. And I think to like two films that really like kind of set me on a path to liking film instead of enjoying movies was she told me to watch Train Spotting and Mulholland Drive. Nice. And both wow. of those were just kind of like over a weekend. And obviously, 16 year old Murphy was very into like a lesbian love affair with like weird, dark aspects. But as like you get more and more into it, it is just such a fascinating piece of film. And it, for me, it is my top of the Lynch films just because nice. there's so much within it. And, um, he is my favorite director. Like he is just so ingenious and I, a, a madman at the same time. Yeah, I think I had to to label him my number one as well. I mean, no, that I haven't. I, I've read several books about him. I have not read several books about other directors. You know. Yeah, that's that's part of it. And yeah, I think if I have to to really put it, I think it's such a strong opening, like first movie. Oh yeah, his, we'll talk about his that. His shorts yeah. are really interesting as well, but just the, like a, a culmination, a 90-minute film. It's it, again, it's there's an, almost nothing like it yeah. before or after. There's a lot of pale imitations. Uh I I think it's it's very well done. It's not my favorite of his. It's probably underneath Lost Highway, maybe right above Wild at Heart, tied with Wild at Heart. Yeah. Kinda. Nice. Okay. I have a, have a tough time ranking all his movies, but I have to say, I think Eraserhead is my number one David Lynch movie. I'll, I'll go into into, exp, into explanation why, but um, so Kill, you started with Twin Peaks, but when did you get to Eraserhead and and like have you enjoyed all of David Lynch's stuff, or have you have I you watched all of it? Seen since Twin all Peaks? of his? I haven't seen all of his movies. I've seen, according to Letterbox, forty six percent of his movies. Okay, so I, yeah. like I haven't seen Wild at Heart or Lost Highway. Um, I think Inland Empire, those are like the three that I, the big ones that I haven't seen. Gotcha. Um, um, yeah, those tend to be his more like platforms that I have. Yeah, I just want to say those tend to be the ones that are harder to watch. Yeah. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, but I, I decided like after watching this, because I've seen this before that I, I'm just going to sit down and like watch, I think every single one of his movies in order. Um, yeah. And just, cause I haven't. I, there are like directors that I like, but I try. I I'm not like a person that gets really into one director or like one actor. Usually, if somebody's, I don't have any actors where like I have to see a movie because this person is in it necessarily. Um, and same with directors, where um, there's some directors where I'm like interested in their movies. There's like a handful of them, but they're usually newer directors that only have yeah. a couple movies out or one movie out or something. Where I'm like, okay, well, I have to see their coming movies because they their first few are really good, but. So I I did that pretty much last year when, you know, we were still kind of locked down. And I was like, you know, it's been a while since I've gone through. So I went through pretty much everything he had directed. And I got up to the new Twin Peaks. I didn't rewatch that, which I, I should do. But I started with his short films, every movie. He did a nice. bunch of commercials and weird shorts in the, the 2000s. Oh, man, his Basically, commercials. Basically, as soon as... 
yeah, like uh, a little video mini camera, and he's just yeah. like, we'll shoot anything. Uh, one of my favorite things he's done. Have you guys seen his the commercial for his brand of coffee? I yeah, I must have. Oh, yeah. it, it, that is one of my favorite little things he's directed. It's so funny. It's just him holding a, a Barbie doll and talking to it for like five minutes about coffee. <laughs> and of course, like, uh, the, but it's have the, you seen uh, the it's... Twin Peaks Japanese coffee? <laughs> oh yes, that he directed. It was an entire yeah, real good. yes. That was like an entire had its own like little storyline to follow too. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. And that brand of coffee is actually pretty good. You can get it in some places around here. Um, in some Asian markets. Uh, I think it's UCC Coffee or something like that. But um, yeah, Twin Peaks is huge in Japan and a ma- major influence there, actually, which is was really, really neat. But today we're talking about his first feature, Eraserhead. And uh, like I said, I've read a few books about David Lynch. And so I, I, I know a lot about like, he's spoken a lot about this time in his life and making Eraserhead. Um, for people who maybe are not familiar with David Lynch and how he kind of like talks about his own stuff in interviews. He He's very careful about what he says about his movies in terms of, like, their meaning and their inspirations and things like that. And um, he really wants to let the movies sort of explain what they're about on their own terms. He doesn't want to interfere with their own, with their messages. So I think uh, I want to also just talk mostly about my own personal, like, interpretation of Eraserhead. Obviously, there are, there's context and behind-the-scenes things that are really interesting, Right. I feel that that's the best way to go for that. Yeah. Like there is like we could get in plot by plot detail, but I think most of it is a general quick thing and then what it makes us feel because to me yeah. the reason I think Lynch is my favorite and one of the best directors of film is that he is able to translate emotions even like finite niche emotions and feelings through visuals and sounds more yeah. than anybody else like it's not just terrifying like it's it's a like even more so like a very concentrated version and especially at the end of this where i'm i'm filled with so many doubts about what it means to to be yeah. responsible <laughs> i think um Lynch is like is started as uh, an artist and obviously films are an art and I think there's this transition for me as I've always loved movies where I realize that movies are pieces of art um not just like art type of movies you know so um for me like watching this now seeing this it's Lynch is an artist I think more than most other directors is coming at this from it's just it's a, this movie to me was just an absolute piece of art like it being in black and white was I don't think it would have been nearly as effective in color at all exactly. like even yeah, close absolutely. to as effective as it is and um in like black and white photography there's you focus on the shadows when you're taking pictures in black and white and this this whole movie it just utilizes the lighting so well and it's yeah so I I don't know I I feel like Lynch to me is more of an artist and it comes out in all of the movies that I have seen for him more so than yeah. other people. Plus it's, surrealism it's is what like I was getting thing. to with with watching Train Spotting and then Mulholland Drive where it's like I the switch in my brain from movies to film like it is it is a whole thing and he, I think he is again one of the reasons I studied film I'm so obsessed even more so than I was you know pre Lynch. Yeah. It's funny, I just realized too, I never talked about how I got into it, but I also got into it with Twin Peaks um, 
it was the thing where I had heard his name. I had been interested in film for a few years when I finally started watching his stuff. Um, but I just knew of him as like a weird director. I just knew he directs stuff that's weird and surreal. And then I just kept hearing about how beloved Twin Peaks was. I found some Reddit thread or something where people were talking about how great Twin Peaks. This is so long ago. It's like back, you know, early days of Reddit. And like, um, I was just like, okay, I should try. I should try to check out Twin Peaks. As someone said, it's a pretty good entry point for him because that series encompasses so many of his like ideas from his previous movies before that. And since then he just, you know, he cycles through a lot of the same themes and ideas and people were there saying like, so Twin many Peaks things like, now yeah, I haven't seen repeat. Eraserhead since I watched um, the return. There are so many parallels and so many different things where I'm like, yeah. Oh, that's like reminds me of Twin Peaks or this was, you know, directly in Twin Peaks, especially the return more so than the original. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I was shocked yeah. watching season three, how much it, it resembles Eraserhead. It's really cool. I, it's uh, the I really same, like that. I feel he goes like it's back part of the it. same yeah. story. It's like in the same universe to me. I, absolutely. It does feel like, <laughs> yeah. Maybe not um, the same universe, but again, yeah, it is very similar. Like the man controlling things with levers. And we, yes. we feel that there's this whole other side of the world that we're just not able to see. That there's, um, what's the, from Ed Will, like, pull the strings, pull the yes. strings. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, the entire man in the planet sequence, that it, the whole thing, it, you're right. There, there's so much of the season three that uses that imagery. Um and it's really interesting, and I really think that uh, I've gotten to the point. I've seen Eraserhead so many times now. I feel like I do have some kind of interpretation of like every moment of it. Um, so we should talk about some specific stuff because I have a lot to say about a lot of things. So that's a good place to start because the imagery that repeats the most is that man in the planet stuff, that endless void, right? That we begin on. Um, the very first thing we see is this really weird-looking, diseased rock, like a planetoid floating in space with little particles around it um and then pretty quickly we have henry's henry spencer played by jack nance um also pete martell in twin peaks uh lynch's most frequent collaborator up until he passed away in the mid 90s sadly mysteriously um oh yeah we'll talk about that i think uh so (laughs) um that's really weird so he uh is like superimposed over this planet he's laying sideways and immediately, this is this to me establishes a link between this diseased rock planet thing and Henry. It's something inside. This is something inside of Henry. And we talked about the black and white and the shadows. I think one of the key elements of this movie being so great is the texture of things brought out by those shadows and the black and white photography. Like when we, because pretty yes. quickly we like start flying over like the landscape of this rock. And it both looks rocky and, like, fleshy. It looks like a diseased piece of rotting flesh to me because of the way it's shot. Um, And so much of this movie, like, is uncomfortable because of the texture of things and how he shoots them. Oh, definitely. Like, I don't think the climactic, you know, part would be as scary if it was in color. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. It would probably be more like laughable, almost. Yeah, and talking about Lynch as like a, you know, we said we start, he started out as an artist, as a painter specifically, and I, I know for a long time he would still say in interviews he considers himself more of a painter than a director. Um, it's always been his like favorite medium of art, and when you look at his paintings too, he is so focused on, like the the uh, I keep saying texture, but the texture of things because he would do things like take dead animals and like disassemble them and like put them on his paintings 
and some like, of his he, one of his shorts is very much like a moving painting yes and he said to um he said when he started making movies uh when he was in art school in philadelphia that he wanted to see his paintings move that was his like motivation for getting into directing in the first place and so many of them are like that they're very still or isn't there one that's just on a loop right it just loops yeah. and it like moves and then it just starts over um it's I like there's watched his shorts sculptures on a bit. or yeah. something and then that's projected on top of it i'm trying to because i mean i saw i watched it about a year ago but uh one of my favorite lynch stories is he i think it's in lynch one he tells about being in art school in philadelphia and how yeah he, like lived in a rough neighborhood or whatever and he would walk around with this like giant walking stick that had nails <laughs> kind of indented into it like you know poking out and one day he's walking down the street and the cops pull over and they go hey sonny what do you got there and he shows it to him and they're like good for you and they just take <laughs> off well this the setting is supposed to be kind of like loosely based on philadelphia and his experiences yeah. growing up in like a scary kind of area there it is funny that it's all shot in L.A., but it looks like the worst L.A. has ever looked on film. It's absolutely disgusting. Yeah. And so Dixie, I think a little background on the movie. I mean, he was a painter living in Philadelphia, going to art school. Um, he experimented when making movies, decided that he liked it and it was a good like medium for his work. And so he spent so many years making this movie. Um, he basically started writing it, I think, when he was living in Philadelphia. And then by the time that he was... Actually shooting it, he was in Los Angeles, and he was shooting it for the American Film Institute, AFI, where he transferred, and he got a grant from them. He got funds from Jack Fisk and Mary Fisk. Uh, he was married to Mary Fisk for a little bit, I believe. Um, and he was also raising a daughter while making this movie, Jennifer Lynch, who would go on to become a director herself. And yeah, Jack a lot of his Fisk movies based and on his, his wife time. gave them money. His wife yeah. is Sissy Spacek. Sissy Spacek, that's it, yes. Yeah, Mary Fisk is his sister, right. Um... Yeah, yeah, David Lynch was That's married right. to. Yeah, this stuff he's been married so many times and to so many of his collaborators too. Like it gets confusing. And even the actors, like the Jack Nance is married yeah. to Catherine Colson. Catherine Colson, yes. who was like an assistant lady. Yeah. And she she donated a bunch of money too. She was waitressing yeah. oh, yeah. and donated a bunch of her income to this movie as well. And Lynch was David uh, Lynch was delivering delivering newspapers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And apparently in Twin Peaks, he made Pete's wife's name Catherine, so it would have to make Jack Nance say Catherine <laughs> a lot and annoy him. I never thought about that, but that makes a lot of sense. That's, that's yeah. very funny. So yeah, he, uh, he based this movie off his time living in Philadelphia, where he was married to his then-wife Peggy Lynch, and they had their daughter Jennifer, who Jennifer says that this is based off of his experience raising her because she was born with severely clubbed feet and required extensive corrective surgery. And so you can see how the seeds for this movie were planted. Although Lynch, again, he's very cagey about the inspiration for this. I think he claims it's not based off of raising Jennifer with clubbed feet, but I, I mean, there's no way. It has to have I, been an influence. Yeah. It, it can't not be. Like, it is it is generally the biggest theme of yeah. it and just the responsibility of parenthood. And yeah. him going through that with a disabled child, like... Maybe he's too close to it that he can't really see it, or is trying not yeah. to be. But I also think there, there's. I do think maybe he's just hesitant to say that's what it's about because there's there's other things this yeah. movie is talking about, and a big a big one for me is in this opening with the man of the planet. That man of the planet is such an important figure to this whole thing, 
and this sequence where we are essentially witnessing the birth of the child, right? I mean, this is like a dream he's probably having about having sex, because that's what's going on here, is that we have the man of the planet pulling this lever, and we have this the baby kind of shooting out of his mouth and going into a pool of water, right? I mean, this is like a visualization of the infertilization process. Um, but that man and the planet being basically at the controls of Henry, of this planet, which I have taken to kind of like, it's supposed to represent like a seed and I think like Henry's soul in my, in my view. And it's diseased. It's, it's corrupt and it's, right. and it's, you that's, know, it's not right from part the get go. Yeah. I kind of take it as like the God, destiny, fate type thing. Yeah, it's absolutely is, that know, too. Yeah. Pulling that, but then it being diseased is, is speaking to the way things are happening and you know especially we haven't really gotten to it but it is like a decrepit city like it's almost yeah. apocalyptic we never there's, really there's get no a, other a people good... out on the street there's no cars yeah there's just it's like pools a factory of, town. like yeah um actually too i i literally just learned this this was shot where the beverly center is right now and i i i go by the beverly center all the goddamn time and i did not know that okay. until last night and i'm so excited <laughs> To drive by it every day and be like, that's where the race head was shot. I can't yeah. wait. <laughs> I, a, that is the um, smuggest some... part, like smuggest LA thing of me. It's just like I go around and I'm all smug about it. Yeah, you know what was shot there? That's my big LA flaw. <laughs> Sorry to kill. Go ahead. There's um some surrealist photographers that really utilize the um, texture similar to some of the buildings and like the sceneries and things so you might like um francesca woodman hers she's not as Ooh, okay. disgusting but um she has this uh like she she used a lot of uh like kind of decrepit like buildings that were falling apart and crumbling and she you know would take these self-portraits just this like beautiful woman it's standing in the corner of a room where like the wallpaper is crumb and crumbling and things it's it's uh, oh. i like her stuff i love that that's awesome um I want to say, too, I think another movie that uh, this reminds me of, I saw it before Racerhead, I think it's a big reason I like this one so much, but my favorite Coen Brothers movie is Barton Fink, because of, like, the way that movie is, like, stuff in that movie is just kind of rotting and decaying, and I think that's another movie that really captures the same sort of feel this has, of just, like, I can see that, a disease, yeah. it's been a, while a disease texture. I've... I've watched that, yeah. Oh boy, if I can, I I will argue that as a horror movie, I will fit it into one of our themes if I can. I love Barton Fink. Um, so we are introduced to Henry Spencer in Waking Life, in real life, uh, we can assume. Um, when we kind of just cut from this dream to his face after we witness the baby fly into a puddle of water, um, which we will see again later. Um, also, I really like all the the different uh parallels between like. We have the eraser scene later, the eraser particles kind of floating through the air. We have like an early version of that when the baby goes into the water and we just kind of watch bubbles kind of go up across the black screen for a little bit, like in this kind of dark void. I like that he keeps calling back to that visual, just these particles floating through space. So Henry is, is walking to his apartment and through the city, we get this really creepy industrial soundscape. And this is the first time too we're introduced to these incredible noises that Lynch and the sound designer, oh my god, I had his name written down. You guys have it on hand. <laughs> I don't know if I typed into my notes, but he's really important. It's like Alan Split, I think. It's it's just bone chilling most yeah. of the time. It makes you unsettled, uh, like a goosebumps running up your spine. It's it's not natural 
again because a lot of it's an industrial type sound so it's yeah it's a very alien type thing like when looking or when listening to an outside you know area it took a year for the sound design um lynch and the dude that you just mentioned whose name i also forgot i had it written down but i deleted it i i looked it up i nailed it it's alan split i i (laughs) again my smugness about this stuff is my worst they did a lot of um you know weird stuff and i i also read that um barton fink was influenced by like the sound design in this movie (laughs) nailed it nice um yeah, I, I think Alan Split, he's huge to this movie where him and David Lynch, their collaboration and the sounds is like vital uh, because then it's not just textured visually, it's textured auditorily, orally. Uh, orally? So yeah, yeah. Orally, yeah. Um, there you go. Perfect. So yeah, he's he walks home to his apartment, he enters his building, and we this is where we see the floor design is the same as the Red Room in Twin Peaks. Lynch would reuse that design later. Um, I love this moment here. This moment when he walks onto the elevator and the door is open and he stands there. We talked about it in Are We Not Cats, where that movie just has these moments where things just stop down. Slows down. Right. And that's what happens here for like 15 seconds. Henry is just standing in his elevator, nothing happening. You're just sitting there watching him like in this space and you're just like hearing the weird sounds outside still and like the uncomfortable nature of the building. Um, I can't remember where you heard this. I, I read some critic talking about Blue Velvet. Um, but in, they talked about how buildings in David Lynch movies always seem to have a life of their own. Like there's just a different atmosphere to every building. And like they almost seem to breathe with the soundscape of his buildings. And I really felt it here where you just like you feel this weird oppressive nature of the apartment building he's living in. Well, definitely. And then like once it starts working, the lights flickering. And yes. It's very... And you can feel his, but, his 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 like fear going up in the elevator. He's like scared of this. Like, but even more so he's to all... your point, like when he gets into his apartment, like there are there's dirt, yes, and stuff just, just piled just... up on his dresser. Right. <laughs> yeah, on the dresser, on the nightstand, it seems like there's a bunch of shit right underneath the radiator, like pine yeah. needle ish thing. So, and that's if I can't very... tell. That's if so, I can't tell if he's imagining that thing. stuff's there or if it's actually there. Yeah, it's really weird. No, it feels like it's there. I mean, it's a consistent thing. Yeah. Then, like, the Mary never comments on it. Yeah, I have an idea about the dirt, and I'll talk about that later. But um, that scene where he's on like... the elevator made me think of... Uh, sorry, <laughs> the, the scene where he's on the elevator made me think of The Lift. And the, a quote Dick Moss had about why he made a movie about killer elevators. And he's like, it's just so weird that we have to, like, give our lives over to this, like technological thing that we could we don't really know how it works right we don't think about how it works often and you just have to trust your life in this weird machine i think so much of this movie is about that of like living with weird machines and like technology and stuff uh sorry kill i don't mean to interrupt you go ahead um i think the the opening of the movie is is pretty effective obviously but there's no dialogue for like the first almost 11 full minutes of the movie and then the end, the last 20 to 30 minutes, there's just barely any dialogue, if any at all. Yeah, I think I think the script was like 22 pages long or something. And it's a big reason why yes. he had trouble getting a grant from AFI. Because they're just like, there's not enough here. You need more scripts. Like it has to, you know, typically in, in screenwriting, your script is about as long as your runtime. You know, like a minute on the yeah, screen. Yeah, they were expecting a, a 20 minute movie. Yeah. <laughs> 
Did you guys, right, did you also because, read that Terrence Malick try, was um, like a potential financial backer who screened <laughs> the film and called yeah. it bullshit? Like got up, walked out. <laughs> that seems like a Malick move. Mm-hmm. I imagine Lynch had like a whole page devoted to Henry stepping in a puddle, though. Absolutely. Like it's, yeah. It seems like that is the peak of Lynch humor. That he would just think, oh, this is the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> Did you guys see, do you remember the Kids in the Hall sketch, Sausages? I have not seen no. that, but I, I read that it was inspired by this, yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, uh, what's it called? Like a little bit of a parody of it, but it's the whole um, Bruce McCullough is like walking around outside, very similar to Henry in this in this and he has like round glasses and kind of like his hair standing up and then um scott scott thompson i think his name is is just like creepy dude who's sitting at the table like demanding sausages and um it's pretty it's pretty funny but it's a long sketch too i feel like it's almost 10 minutes long or something (laughs) wow yeah i'll have to check that out i i watched a lot of that i just don't remember that one I thought of it immediately as soon as like he's henry's like walking around the opening and i was like this is like sausages because I just rewatched all of Kids in the Hall recently. I I made a parody of this movie when I was in in film school actually, like a like a five minute editing short I had to make. I had we had to assemble stuff out of dailies footage for uh, NYPD Blue. Um, so we were just given a bunch of raw footage in NYPD Blue, and so I made a um a, a David Lynch's NYPD Blue parody, um, and I used a bunch of stuff from from racerhead the sound effects and it, it made it it made nypd blue weird and uncomfortable it was it was very it sounds fun. amazing yeah that was a fun project um <laughs> uh so uh yeah the dirt i think this is my theory about the dirt so much of this movie like i said we we start with like that diseased soul it also looks like it looks like a seed to me and we have this piles of dirt on his dresser where we have a little like stick sickly tree thing growing out and I think it's just like a visual metaphor for the birth, right? Just like we have bad earth and you have a bad seed. And so you get a sickly looking plant. And I think that's the, I think also Henry views himself and we have, get visual comparisons between him and a worm and dirt very often. So it just goes to show he's living in Low soil and earth. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. exactly. Did that remind yeah. you of Twin Peaks too? The Return, because I think it's called the yes, arm. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, it There's becomes branch, a weird and then tree thing with like on a top head of it on it. Has yeah, like the head, and the head is kind of shaped like the baby from this movie. Yeah, absolutely. And that that tree thing, the tree is multiple times throughout the movie too. There's one he's like standing. Mm-hmm. I think there's one in sort of in the wall and next to that beautiful woman's apartment. And uh, when he's on stage at one point toward the end, there's like a bigger tree version of it. Yeah. Very yeah. Peaks. Yeah. He has a he has a weird thing about like sickly trees. I've seen a lot of his paintings have weird stuff like things like that, too. There's a painting about like I think it's just called like the tree outside my house. And it was like a tree he that was outside one of his childhood homes, I think, in, in Montana. And he's like painted it several times. So he's got a weird thing with trees like he he loves <laughs> he loves trees that's that's all throughout his work um so henry kind of comes in he takes his socks off and he puts them on the radiator he also turns his vinyl record player on that's why i think this movie's partly about living with technology and a technology yes. that like comforts us right and then technology that scares us um because this is how he relaxes like before his life gets you know kind of turned upside down um so he he puts his socks on the radiator and he stares at it and we get a really weird 
shot of like kind of zooming in on it and there's something inside of it but we don't quite see it yet we can also see like there's like pine needles and dirt across on his floor too so he goes to his 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 dresser and when he opens it up there's like a bowl of water in there and some other weird assorted shit he pulls out a torn photo of a blonde woman and kind of pieces that together i think he also i think before he goes in his apartment he think is when he first sees the woman across the hall too i think she yeah she's because going she says her girlfriend called Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is why he's looking at that photo. Yeah. So then we cut to him going, we cut to the woman, the blonde woman. And this is Mary X, (laughs) that's her character's name, uh, played by Charlotte Stewart, who would also go on to be in Twin Peaks as Bobby Briggs's mother. Um, Betty Briggs. Betty Briggs, there you go. Thank you. She was in Tremors and Little House on the Prairie, too. Tremors. I put that one together, this viewing. The, I, I knew the Tremors part. I didn't know the Little House on the Prairie. I didn't know she was in that, which is really cool. Yep. So uh, he goes to meet her. And this is when we get the first pieces of dialogue is when they meet. And it, it it always does surprise me every time. Like, you get so used to them not talking. And then they actually start speaking. And no, the, this the begins... neighbor had talked right before that. Oh, you're right. Yes, that's the first dialogue as a neighbor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is strange when Henry speaks, though. Like, because I remember that's, watching I think that's this it, yeah. thinking, like, as soon as he, he spoke, it's just... It's just kind of strange, but it it it's not weird at all. I mean, it fits in the movie, but it is no. And and Jack Nance is the perfect is voice for this. Yeah, I remember thinking I love that there wasn't Jack Nance's voice. dialogue in this movie too. Even though I had seen it before, I remember thinking like, "Oh yeah, there's talking yeah. in this movie." <laughs> <laughs> it's actually got really great dialogue. <laughs> One of the things about this movie is I, I you know as much as I love Lynch, I feel. Every time I watch this movie, I try to immediately forget finer details about it. And so when I'm rewatching it, I'm like, I'm coming against it like, oh yeah, this is this is happening. This is, this yeah. is whatever. But I think it's just so not disturbing, but like it shakes me to my core yeah. so much that I have to like just pick up on the bigger things and forget the smaller. Oh yeah, there's the first like two times I watched this, I don't think I got a lot of the humor of it too because I was just too weirded out by it. But then like watching it now, like it is so funny. This scene especially where he comes in and meets the parent. This entire sequence, yeah. This is like I think this is why this is my favorite Lynch movie. Is this whole sequence of meeting the parents so weird? This this is textbook quintessential David Lynch vibes. Like this is exactly what I imagine when I think of his stuff, and I think. I wouldn't. I don't think he sees it as trying to recapture the magic of this whole scene, but I think a lot of his stuff is trying to get this exact feeling that Henry is feeling as he comes in, and it's a such an interesting depiction of like social anxiety. I think on Henry's part, and just like that feeling in general, being in someone else's house and being just weirded out by everything they do, all their customs, all their little quirks are so uncomfortable and alien to Henry and to us, by extension. I love the dad. The dad is incredible. The dad's yeah. so good. Oh, I love, boy. Because he, he's a plumber, and he talks about it, and, like, his knees are shot, but, the like, the way he walks is kind of bent over, like, he's been plumbing for so long that his body yeah. is just shot from it. So the parents are, like, are played like, by Alan Joseph. <laughs> Look at my <laughs> That scene right there, because like uh, the dad comes in and, and like just starts yelling instantly, and he has to yell because there's like noises outside that are like ramping up too. I this this time to me, I'm like this is like this the dinner scene from Texas Chainsaw. That's the only thing I can compare it to because it's so loud and chaotic and uncomfortable. 
And it is like that type of energy, I think. His whole speech about his arm yes. is great. <laughs> That's I can't feel a damn thing. It's like a weird body horror thing at that point too, right? We're talking about like at, at, at the dad's age, like he's losing control of his body, and but he's just fascinated by it. The dad is delighted by like the fact that he can't, uh, that his knee is fucked up and he can't feel anything. He's like really proud of it. Um, so yeah, the father's played by Alan Joseph and the mother's played by Gene Bates. Um, there's a really great scene where the mother's in the kitchen preparing a salad and oh, Mary's grandmother is just sitting in a chair just staring dead ahead no not moving at all just no life to her aside from her eyes are open and she's just like sitting there the mom puts like a the salad in, in the grandmother's lap and then uses her arms to like toss the salad <laughs> and then lights a cigarette for her and then she just like sits there smoking um that that's what i'm saying where it's like i didn't really i didn't get the comedy of that scene i was just like what the fuck is she doing but i watch it now and it, it it's so it, it's just it's just funny i don't know it's just, grandma it's made joke, the salad yeah, yeah. <laughs> So they sit down to dinner, and the dad brags about the chickens they have. They're new chickens. They're man-made. And he says that they're no bigger than your fists. And I, I, this is, again, revisiting the the weird theme of technology and industry. And at a point where, like, clearly just something is wrong with this world. Where even the chickens, like, are diseased and... they well, still bleed after being killed <laughs> getting more into like the gmo type thing and yes. that we're able to you know conquer technology and god and biology yeah. that we can make these things and and it's um you know seems like the opposite of what is happening with the baby yeah um to to put this in the context of we're talking about hellspawn march and evil children and things like that I think this movie uh, fits into that category really well. And I think another movie that does, uh, if you really want to argue and, and stretch the definition, I think this has a lot of common with Frankenstein in terms of that technology of like, what have we done kind of, and how it has affected us over time. Because this is not the case of like, this is not like about the person who does these things, who discovers a new way to make chickens or discovers a new way to like, whatever, who... It just—it's the after effects of like generations of doing that with technology, right? Of playing God and trying to like affect genetic, you know, it's like GMOs and things like that. It's—it's like—it's after a long time of messing with nature, everyone is dis- like the whole world is diseased essentially. Right. I think that's what I, part of this is about. I think this is a a perfect one to start off on. It is—it's a little odd because I don't—I don't see the baby as Hellspawn necessarily. Like it's not bad or evil. It just is what it is because yeah. of the environment they've destroyed the planet and now like we're living in right now where we're just yeah. going to you know be having a lot of deformities cancers it, this is something yeah. that we're going to be seeing more of it's especially it, timely for the 70s because like there's huge you know controversies around this time about epa is being created yes. like there's a lot of stuff coming out but i think it, it strikes upon the fundamental fear of parenthood and that yeah. your child could be a hell spawn and that this this baby is not necessarily but like the idea of it being deformed plays into that yeah and i i think too this is around the time where we're discovering like women are having babies with birth defects because of medications they were being prescribed and we're learning about things like 
you know <laughs> uh, that shit is terrifying when i yeah. i read about that and the it's a big yeah, factor in, in like medication. it's alive as well another classic movie in the genre is about like what is happening to babies because of different medications and things like that and pharmaceutical companies like pushing certain drugs without regard for what they would do to to children and things like that um so yeah uh I, I really love this. It's just even beyond that, it's just a really f- engaging scene with its how gross it is when he cuts into the chicken and you see the stuff oozing out of it. Like, Close-ups. It's really wonderful. It yeah. It, it's great stuff. I, I love that Lynch, like, he designed all the props and special effects for this thing, too, for the movie as well. And so I can just, when you see, like, the, the chicken, like, kicking its little legs and moving... I can just it's picture so, him one of like, the most manipulating things. it. You know, I love it. Um, it reminded me too of like when uh, in Blue Velvet. Go back to that real quick. At the end of that movie, there's the there's a great scene where you see the bluebird or the blue jay with the uh, with the bug in its mouth, right? right? And I don't know if you guys knew, but that movie, but that is a taxidermy dead bird that David Lynch is puppeting. Um, so it just it doesn't look know. alive by <laughs> any means. So. Yeah. It's just that I just love that it's a thing that he loves to do the special effects on himself for movies and and make them out of weird things like that. Uh, okay, like <laughs> real quick then uh, about it. So there is a, another weird prop that's in their house. There's a cuckoo clock, but it only has oh, yeah. one arm. That's right. Yeah, it is. It was, but it's it, even just like an arrow. It's not like a full on half arm or something. It's just it's a very weird detail I picked up this time. Yeah, and we skipped that. As they're sitting down before dinner, uh, Mary starts having like a oh my god, her seizure, yeah. And Jack is trying not to like notice it, and then the mom starts brushing her hair to calm her down, and then they just move on like it's not and a it's, thing. Yeah, it's Mary that moves on. She just snaps. Mary snaps out of it, and then they just keeps talking like, "Oh, you know, Henry works as a printer at LaBelle's factory." Like it's so it's so weird. Uh, but that's again, that's what I was talking about earlier, but that, that essential David Lynch vibe of like something really fucked up is happening here, but everyone is just un- unaffected by it. Like that is that it's is kind key of to this reminded too. me of that the Lewis Black scene in The Return. It's I call it the Lewis Black scene, but it's that lady is in the car and uh, Bobby yeah. comes out of that diner. Oh, I think there's like God. a shooting and she's just like screaming because she she looks like she sounds and, and kind of embodies Lewis Black to me, that character that Lewis Black yes. does. So yeah. that's why I call no, she it looks Lewis like Black him too. Scene, yeah. Yeah, she's just like screaming, <laughs> and then all of a sudden there's a ch- there's a kid in this in the passenger seat, and then the kid's just like like having some sort of of fit of some kind and starts like foaming yeah, in the mouth. It's very strange. That whole sequence is one of my favorite things David Lynch has done. I love that oh, whole yeah. thing because it starts in the diner and then you have like it's a really good sad scene with Bobby and um and Shelley and then it like uh then it transitions to that horror fucking show outside with the Lewis Black lady. Like that that is an, it's such an incredible scene. Um but yeah, good call. Uh we also have too the woman uh not the women, the dogs on the on the floor. We have a, a mother dog nursing a bunch of puppies. And it's the like, sounds like that they're making. Puppies. Yeah, it's so many of them. And Henry just keeps looking at them in horror, even before he knows there's a baby, which we find out in a moment, um, that there's a, Mary has had Henry's deformed child. The way they break it to him is so upsetting, too, where... The mom the mother, asking if they've had sexual relations. The mother asking if they had and sexual relations. And then tries yeah. to kiss him. Yes, but also, she says there's a, there, you know there's a baby at the hospital, and then Mary's line of they're not even they're not sure it is a baby yet, like 
that line is so freaky. I'm like, oh my god. It it sets you up perfectly for like you're gonna be seeing some kind of you know some something really freaky with this baby. Like it, it's possibly not even human. Um, well, even um, <laughs> Henry says he's like, well, that's not possible. It hasn't kind of like yeah, he says, hasn't I don't been remember what he says, it hasn't, but hasn't it's been like, long enough. Yeah, right. like they only spent time together because he doesn't verify that they slept together. But let's just assume that they did because they're they're adults. But yeah, like mm-hmm. maybe three months ago, and all of a sudden she has this baby. Yeah, a little preemie. <laughs> Before we move on from this scene, too, just the the dad when all that's going on, when like uh, Mary starts crying before they announce this, the mother and the and Mary run to the room. The dad is just sitting there, like staring at Henry, smiling, just not breaking eye contact, never once like acting as if anything is wrong. I, I absolutely, I, the dad is really sweet to me. Like he's he's accepting oh, yeah, I of love Henry. Him. He's, like, really interested. He's like, oh, what do you know, Henry? Henry's like, oh, I don't know much of anything. <laughs> I feel like this is, I mean, has to be a, speaking about his in-laws, right? Yes. To an extent. Oh, I mean, like, I think this to happened be. to David Lynch. I think he yeah. he learned that Peggy Lynch was mar- was pregnant, and that's when they decided to get married. And I think it was a similar thing. Again, I, I've read a bunch of books about this, and he's, I've heard him talk about this. But, like, I think it was, like, he was basically... He went to dinner at his at at Peggy's house and then was told, you know, oh, you're going to be a dad and you're going to marry Peggy. And he was just like, uh, okay. So that's what happens here. It cuts to them back in Henry's apartment and we first see the baby when Mary is standing over it, feeding it. And I think this baby, which Jack Nance apparently nicknamed Spike, so we can call it Spike if we want. <laughs> this has the this is legit one of I think my all time favorite and one of the best just film special effects in general because you cannot tell what this thing is but it does not look fake it looks like it's a real fleshy living thing um it's probably i think i saw it's probably an embalmed uh fetal calf right is well, i think what yeah. i saw say the texture yep. of it is yeah. just phenomenal it's slimy and it's fleshy yes and the way it yes. moves around, it looks like it, it is actually is alive. The most unsettling part being its fucking eyes, which to me do look like cow eyes. So I think it's, I'm pretty certain that's what this thing is. But like the way the eyes move around and seem to have some kind of life behind them, like it, it, it's so upsetting just looking at it like exist. <laughs> this is one of the things that Lynch has also been really cryptic about in interviews, not yeah. just like what does this movie mean to you, but he like even during the filming he like hid what he was doing so that even the people on set didn't really know what the fuck it was and apparently after the film was done he buried it and (laughs) then at the rap party he he had like a a mock like a fake wake for it yeah i i love his quotes about it too where he's he's said several times like maybe it was found nearby it was born nearby or something like that or he found it like while walking around and like found it in a puddle which yeah. <laughs> I he's so good at like he just he knows what you have to leave unexplained even beyond the movie right he knows the second he tells everyone what this thing is it loses mystery and like you know and uh the allure right the allure of it absolutely I like Lynch's interviews and I like David Byrne's interviews and but my favorite yes. interviews are Marshawn Lynch I don't know if I've seen Marshawn Lynch interviews but. I like that it's either someone named David or someone's last name Lynch, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, 
I mean, he has some really great moments. Like, I'm trying to think of my favorite Lynch moment. It might It's a tie between when he was on the couch with the, like, six Woody Woodpecker dolls. Oh, my God. Talking yeah, that, that these are his friends. Yes. Yeah. It's either that or when he was trying to get Laura Dern an Oscar nom, and he did that whole thing where he sat on the <laughs> corner with a cow for, like, six hours. It's just, it's so... It's Incredible. so weird where you it's delightful. Even weird. if you explained it to me, I don't yeah. I don't think I would understand. I mean, in relation to this scene and again not explaining what is going on or anything about Racerhead, like my favorite Lynch thing is it's a it's a pretty memed moment now, but he's being asked or he says, um, believe it or not, Eraserhead is my most spiritual film and the interviewer goes, Oh, elaborate on that and his response is just no and then he no. laughs. Like yeah. <laughs> Uh, that it's that great. is essentially like that that sums him up he's not going to explain it he always says like the movie is speaking to you the movie's explaining itself and it's your then up to you to, to figure out what, how you feel about it and what it's saying i like that so i like I, that we, I, I love Nance's that it's, like a, it's a trust in the audience sort yeah of similar in that he uh he just says like everybody's too deep about this and don't take it so seriously <laughs> it's just a movie like Jack Nance. Yeah, you get you get the sense when you learn about his personal life, you kind of get the sense that he was just making movies because it was like a steady paycheck. You know, to he couldn't alcohol, get money yes. otherwise. Yes, yeah, sadly. Um so uh we yeah, we meet the baby, Mary is feeding it, Henry is uh there in the apartment with them. We assume they got married in between the dinner scene and now. The spitting is really well yeah too. it's like yeah i have to imagine lynch is under the table like controlling it like a puppet but i don't know gotta be um this is too henry brings in a worm this is where he does this this thing and he has a little box on his wall a little cabinet like a shrine and he opens the shrine and whenever he opens it this really intense humming kicks in and then he like places the worm in the shrine and then closes the little doors and like I said earlier, I think it's an allusion to just like the dirt in his apartment. His like, he has an affinity for worms. He possibly relates to them in some way. And like I said, it's very religious. Like those that little box that he, the way he opens it and puts it in there. We don't know why he's doing this, but I also imagine it's something to do with the shape of the worms too. They're a little, they're kind of shaped like the baby is, right? And uh, <laughs> well, it makes sense with the low self-esteem, like seeing yeah. yourself as a lowly worm. This is a this is a big stretch, but I feel like with David Lynch, you have to just try to find connections wherever you can sometimes. But his whole thing with taking his socks off, too, and putting them on the radiator, socks also being vaguely in the shape and kind of like general, you know, visually looking like worms or like the baby. I don't know. I'm I'm reaching here, but with this movie, you have to. <laughs> uh, that's, you know, if there, if there is a reason for this stuff on screen, I don't know. I'm going to start calling you Jack with. Reacher. Oh, please. <laughs> I really I need to watch that show. I hear it it's great and I loved the Tom Cruise Jack Reacher, so. I saw the first one. It's it's really funny. Uh Really good. Yeah, I mean just at this point like the baby is a baby. It's like crying <laughs> all the time. Mary's yeah. going crazy. She can't get any sleep. And she like eventually is like I'm going back to my parents and then she has again a whole minute where she is pulling her suitcase from and under that, the bed. That moment incredible. Yeah, okay, so freaky. Another Twin Peaks parallel here. Um, there's at one point, and I I don't know I don't know if it's the TV show or Firewalk with Me or the other Twin Peaks movie, but 
um, Bob is like sitting in the corner behind uh, yeah, Laura's bed. Behind Laura's bed. And it's like his Sarah, first shot mother, in the movie. That's the first yeah, time you Sarah see Sarah walks yeah, in. The show, and it's right. like a memory because she initially wa- looks through the room and like doesn't see him. And then later she's remembering it. And it's like slow motion. And then fucking Bob. That was the creepiest moment for me as yeah. a child watching that. Just this dude. Absolutely. Sitting in her daughter's room that she didn't. That This that really reminded me of the way that um, Mary was like looking through the bed. Yes. 100 percent um that scene too uh famously with in twin peaks that was footage before they even really decided to introduce bob or cast frank silva as bob like he was just in so he the was a set de- yeah he was a set decorator um so that's yeah that's in the end of the first episode but in that one he was the set decorator and he accidentally like trapped himself in the room he accidentally blocked a door or something and then lynch thought of that visual of frank silva trapped in this bedroom I was like, oh, that's freaky. Hey, why don't we put you on the end of the bed and I'll just shoot this without any real plans? And then they used it in the show. So that's why Bob in that scene just kind of looks like he's kind of got, got a blank expression. It's because it's just Frank Silva, like, following Lynch's directions. But it ends up being extremely so unsettling, creepy. like you said, Kill. Yeah. But yes, and then, that yeah, this is where it comes from. I have to imagine that he was riffing on this same idea here when he has married there because she's there for so long like you said murph it's like a minute of her trying to pull this thing out yeah. i didn't know what the it's fuck again, she was like doing the slowing down i thought she was having like another yeah fit it's really strange. Like it's very it's very bed. weird it's, so like the yeah taking off his socks when we're carving the chickens and it's gooping out like when she's pulling the things it is much like are we not cats where it yeah. just stops we, we stop down in this moment <laughs> yeah uh, I also think too, just like it starts with like her in bed not being able to get the scent because the baby's crying. There's a storm outside. So much of this movie at this point too, when they're in his apartment, feels like a sitcom, like an exaggerated like depiction of married life. You know what I mean? Just like the way they they play it and the problems they're having of like, oh, the baby's crying and there's a storm, and like later on when she's like smacking her lips in bed and taking up too much room. It's just like, this is just like a, you know, it's like a sitcom about marriage, but it's like dark and horrifying as opposed to funny, you know, but it's the same like problems. I don't think like, any problems. of that yeah. though, because that you don't sleep at all. Kids just fucking cry constantly. And yeah, I mean, exactly. It, it seems this is just commentary on his life. They also <laughs> and didn't sure live together prior his to this, and it doesn't is, seem like his they ex-wife. dated for very long either. So it was like all of a sudden these people, and then they don't really yeah. seem to interact. We only see them in these awkward interactions too so like the olden days where you knock somebody up you have to get married before the baby is born and then you don't know how to like live together because you've never lived together before yeah and the first time we see mary is like is that torn in half photo and he brings up the headless half first and then puts the head on i just i love that visual it tells a whole story there with the fact that the photo is destroyed and then just the, a really strange visual of like the headless woman putting the head on it like which we get later with people's heads coming off and shit. So, yeah, I, you're totally right. It is just a weird exaggeration of a pretty relatable, like, situation for some people, right? Being forced into this relationship you're not comfortable with because of a baby. Like, that is something I'm sure a lot of people out there can relate to. And it's just f- strange and funny that this is the way he depicts it. Um, so, yeah, she leaves and he's left with just a baby. Um, I think this is where he f- maybe first has the dream of the woman in the radiator. Right, and um, I think it's right around there. Yeah, yeah, I just I love the part where she leaves, and then he seems very hesitant about what to do with the baby. He's not sure, and he literally turns around for one second, and then turns back around, and it's like 
got all these pox on its face now and he goes oh you are sick that with the music sting and then just that really gross texture of like the the pock marks on it that is one of the, yeah. the freakiest moments in the movie to me it gets me every time i'm just like Ugh, it really like grosses me out and it speaks to again that idea of like being this young father you don't know what you're doing with this baby it's freaking you out and then suddenly it's maybe on the verge of death and can't breathe like it is truly harrowing you know, and it's a big he doesn't fear know what for to do. Parenthood yeah. in general. I, I, I'm sure you guys have felt that with even our pets. Where Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> they can't communicate like babies. They can't communicate with us. It's very scary. Also, the lady in the radiator, another Twin Peaks thing here, reminded me yes. of um, Mandy, Sandy, and Candy, the personal assistants for the Mitchell <laughs> Brothers. So, yeah. Oh. Talking about having met Twin Peaks actors, I've met um, Candy, uh, Amy Shields. I met her at a convention. And she is incredibly nice. She was very, very sweet. Um, I met her, and uh, I met Ray, and then I met. Uh, Did you touch? Oh, his I forget his name, now? but the... exactly. <laughs> I met the uh, the shitty um, the shitty cop from season three. I forget his name. He was also in Godzilla vs Kong. But anyway, uh, they were all very nice. They had some great stories about working with David Lynch. They were they were wonderful people. Um, that's the other thing too. We talked about like. This is a, maybe an exaggeration of Lynch's first marriage, right? And it ended shortly, I think, during the production of this movie. I think they maybe uh, got divorced, and he was married to somebody else by the end of it. But uh, he's had a lot of wives, a lot of different working relationships. Everybody just talks about how great he is as a person and mm-hmm. how wonderful he is to work with. All of his wives still like praise him like crazy, like Isabella Rossellini an Instagram post not like a couple weeks ago being like this is David and I we were married oh fun times don't you remember David I'm just like that's so sweet like 30 years later and she's still like you know <laughs> he like he definitely out over seems him. yeah like it's just a general all good going kind of guy he I had yeah. to look it up because I remember he gives a lot of nicknames to his like oh, actresses yes. Laura Dern is tidbit Mm-hmm. And then uh, Naomi Watts was Buttercup, and Patricia Arquette <laughs> got Solid Gold. <laughs> Did you see just the other day on Lord on Laura Dern's birthday? He posted a video, and he was like, a "Very happy shout out to Laura Dern. I call her Tidbit." Like, then he's like, "And thank you to Bruce Dern and Diane Ladd for making Laura Dern." I'm just, <laughs> oh God, he, he's he's the greatest. Um, Why is she called? Isn't she tall? Why is she called Tidbit? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe because she's a child of she's famous 5'10". actors. I don't know. Yeah, she's pretty tall. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they all love Maybe David Lynch. Why. Like everyone loves working with him. Uh, you know, uh, he's. <laughs> uh, I think it's it's uh, Naomi Watts has posted screenshots of her text messages with David Lynch, and it is the <laughs> funniest thing in the world. Oh, I gotta uh, look those up. Yeah, it's great. Um, so yes, the, the, that's when it gets sick, and we get this weird scene of we feel bad for this thing, but also we get you know we're still disgusted by it, like Henry is. Um, so then he goes to bed at this point, and we have a really creepy scene of the eye like following him, and this is where I kind of get some of the hell spawn thing because this thing, in Henry's perspective, I think like it's judging him right. No matter what he does, it's like he's doing the wrong thing in his mind. So he feels judged by this baby of this eye watching him as he just goes to bed while it's sick. It's I mean, but what else can you really too. do, you know? And then it laughs, yeah. So I think there is yeah. a maliciousness to it, or at least Henry perceives a maliciousness uh, behind it, just its very existence. 
so he goes to bed. He dreams of a woman in the radiator. Uh, she's just, at this point, got her, like, arms together, and she's kind of, like, stepping back and forth. These weird, worm-like things are just on the ground. Vaguely resemble the baby, but they also look like sperm. And they're falling she from starts, the sky. Yeah. And she's she, in the radiator. Do you think they're them. falling from the socks? Oh, it could be. I never considered that, but you're right. It could be that. Well, it, wow. it seems as before she's stepping on it, she is noticing yeah. it and then purposely doing it. The way I kind of take her is that she is his ultimate fantasy yes. woman yeah. girl. And that then she is killing or aborting the, the problem. And it feels like it even gets into it more later when she starts singing, in heaven, everything is fine. Like, yeah, it's one she's of a those sort of guardian angel for him, sort of, right? We, we want to believe. We want to believe that, yeah, like, after this, whatever, we go and it's paradise. You know, yeah. Like, it's one of those ultimate lies that we try to tell ourselves. Yeah, and she's, she's, so she's stamping out these weird sickly things on the stage. Um, this is kind of where he wakes up and he's he's again in bed with um with Mary, and this is where she starts doing like the weird like she's like smacking her lips and uh, I I used to date somebody that did that in their sleep like very much like <laughs> made noise like that, and so I I relate to this scene of just like it keeping me up and being just like well I mean I can't really ask them to stop you know they're they're doing their sleep it's not like they can help it but it is like an annoying thing. <laughs> So uh, he then reaches into the bed and pulls out those things from his dream, these weird sperm-like things. And I think this is basically saying he had a wet dream about the lady in the radiator, right? And now it's a fear of getting her pregnant again. Like, just the idea that these things, like, he sees what it leads to. So now all of his sperms look, come out looking deformed and ugly, at least well, to him. Maybe he should watch it, wash know. his clothes. <laughs> that too, yeah. Um, that's the thing you said. Maybe they're coming from the sock. So is it saying like he's? Yeah, he's off jerking off into, his, then, into a tube sock. You yeah. know that that thing there you that go. people Jesus Christ. Say. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That he, that he puts it on top of the yeah. Instead of washing it, he's putting it on the radiator. <laughs> maybe he likes crushing. Ne I never considered that. It could be it. Yeah. <laughs> so he All throws right. them out of his of his bed. Those he throws them against the wall and they splat. Um. This is she, there's also the greets in her rubbing her eye and it's really like squeaky and like rubbery when she does it. I love that sound effect. Oh, it's so funny. Um, so he kills those things. Then we inside the shrine, his little shrine where he put the worm. We see the claymation worm start to like roll around and squeal. And uh, my I have a note. My cat loved this. He was glued to the TV during while it was like rolling around squealing. My cat was also acting. On that, it, it's very funny <laughs> that you mentioned that. There was yeah. a lot of sound design that Jimbo was would would perk his ears up at. <laughs> um, so this whole thing with the the worm kind of traveling across this weird planet thing, I, I don't quite know what to make of this. I have a thing of if the worm is Henry and it's like searching for something on this planet, and then it kind of just gives up and like screams, and we like go inside of its mouth. It's very strange that whole portion. I don't know. Um, that's one part where I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's just there to be upsetting and, sh and weird. I really do. But I like I the mean, claymation even, as it rolls the around. The whole, like, I think we should, like, kind of get through it. it like, yeah. the whole eraser head thing, I don't get. Like, I kind of finally put the, I have the idea that, of yeah. the title. So, um, we have another scene where he, he kind of wakes up or something. 
and that Mary's gone. He hears a knock at the door, and this isn't actually like a pretty. Uh, I saw this in theaters once a couple years ago at a at a screening, and like um, this is like a, a genuinely kind of a scary moment where he opens the door and it's just blackness. There's just nothing at all, and then the woman across the hall just kind of emerges out of the shadows suddenly. And in a theater, that actually scared me because I just I forgot about it. And like it is so weird where she comes out so slowly, like she kind of like you know forms in your vision like, in a weird perfect way. Yeah, for it's black really and cool. white. Absolutely. Yeah. So then she says that she's locked out of her apartment, and she asks where his wife is, and he says he doesn't know. Um, talking about this woman and and Mary, it's another thing I see pop up a lot in David Lynch's movies: this dichotomy between. A blonde woman and a brunette. He loves that pairing or that like, you know, comparing. I mean, who doesn't, right? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, but yeah, you have it with like Laura and Maddie, or you have Laura and Donna in um, either one, both pairs really in Twin Peaks. You have it in um, in Home Drive. Drive, right? You have uh, in you have Lost it, Highway. In Patricia Lost Arquette's Highway. Patricia Arquette switches between blonde and brunette. Yes, I think where it comes from. I don't remember if I've I've heard him talk about this movie or not, but. Have you guys ever seen the movie uh, Sunrise, A Tale of Two Humans? No. So it's a movie made by F.W. Murnau, uh, the guy who did Nosferatu in like the late 20s. Um, It's a great movie. It's a silent movie. And it's basically about this rural farmer and his wife, who's blonde, have this kind of idyllic life until a woman from the city who is like brunette and kind of a vampy, you know, sort of like, um, what do you call, they call them, uh, uh, you know, like the short-haired women of the 20s. I can't forget what the, there's a name. Uh, flappers. She's like a flapper, kind of. Okay. So she seduces this farmer and convinces him to attempt to kill his wife. Um, so it's like this, you know, again, the, the sort of like... Um, it's the opposite Madonna. of the postman right, always yeah. rings twice. Basically. Like, yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I think Lynch is a big fan of that movie because there's so much of that imagery is like, you know, do you have like the, the more evil, darker-haired woman and the more innocent blonde woman? It's in Blue Velvet as well, right? Um, and so I think that's uh, yeah. this is a riff on that, having like a good version and a bad version. But in this case, both women are kind of like dangerous to Henry in some way, right? They're like it's a, it's a, there's a fear of women in this movie, in both Mary and the woman across the hall in different ways, right? Like there's he's uncomfortable with with both of them, and he's attracted to both, but he can't. He he there's a deep seated. Like he's also you know, extremely terror. uncomfortable yeah. when Mary's mom is like talking kissing to him about him? sex yes. <laughs> and then starts Licking kissing his him. Face. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so yeah, the the lady across the hall like starts kind of giving eyes. The when the baby makes noise, he just like covers its mouth so it's not going to interrupt the sexy time. And then I think right. my favorite shot of this movie is like their lovemaking. When they're in and like the like weird, then the tub in, in a the pool of water, yeah, and you know, like in a pool of water, and they keep sinking down in it until her hair is just kind of floating there on top. That I laughed out loud during that part, just like <laughs> like wad of hair floating in the water. Yeah, I love it. That part is gross. <laughs> that is that is is disgusting to see. Um, so uh, yeah, there's something too about like pools of water in this that I I I don't quite. That's another aspect of this I don't quite know. Um, I know sometimes baby. in movies, in movies and like in storytelling, water can sometimes represent like consciousness or truth. So maybe there's something to it that, with that, but I don't know. Um, 
so but the baby becomes too weird for her it caught blo- it cock blocks henry uh she's so disgusted by it and she leaves uh this is where we get the woman in the radiator singing in heaven for the first time um possibly telling henry to subconsciously kill the child to spare it right like of its its horrible existence uh this is also where the baby laughs at him and where we get some of the maliciousness that i talked about with this baby or maybe henry's perceiving as malicious we don't know uh this is where he has a dream where his head flies off and the baby erupts from inside of him. Um, to me, this kind of just tells me, like, he's realizing that th- th- this baby is an extension of himself. Yeah. And if it is diseased and evil, then he is at his own core, too. Right? Like, And it's so it's just, weird as it's happening is that he goes yeah. into this, like, little box area and he's then spinning this bar very nervously and then that's when his head pops off and the baby one comes up yeah and then that's when the head like falls into reality and breaks incredible so uh yeah this i love this this sequence is is absolutely amazing so a kid picks up henry's severed head a bum is watching kind of like reaches for the kid as he runs away yes his scalp gets like torn off (laughs) it gets like stuck to the pavement i love it that's another thing you talk about texture this bum had the most craggly face like yeah. it said so much in just like a look it was and again crazy. these are these are the only other people we see in the city and they're filthy and the kid is all like has dirt all over him too and it's like his clothes are torn and stuff um so he runs into like a storefront where there's a clerk uh do you guys happen to recognize this actor at all I did. He is the guy from The Fog and Assault on Precinct 13. Yeah, yeah. Darwin Jostin is his name. Yeah. He plays Napoleon Wilson and I Assault on Precinct 13. He plays Paul he's, here. He's so good in Assault on Precinct 13. He's amazing in that, yeah. And then the, the guy sees the head and immediately it's like, oh, okay, hey, what do you have there? He pays the kid for the head. Um, he takes the head back <laughs> and into where there's a man sitting some machine. Did you guys recognize this actor at all? I've seen him in a lot of things, but I don't know his name. Yeah, so his name is Hal Landon Jr. From. And I, he's best known, at least to me, for playing Ted's dad in the Bill and Ted movies. All three of them. Yes. Um, <laughs> yes, that's it. That is yeah, it. This was, this was oh his film God. debut. So they give him Henry's head. He's got a machine that's producing pencils. Like, you know, on a conveyor belt, little pencils come out with erasers on top of them. So we assume this is a machine that puts the erasers on the pencils. He basically, he puts Henry's head into his machine, and it gets processed into pencil erasers. And then the guy takes one of the pencils, he erases something, and then, like, Tests blows the particles away. Tests it out. He gives it the okay. No, he just and scrapes we get to... them away, and then we get that yeah. great shot of the, the dust in the air. So, okay, you said you don't know about the title. This is what I think. This is Henry's dream, and we talked about a lot about Henry's self-perception as, like, a worm living in dirt. So if you look at it, he produced that baby, and it's diseased, and it's worthless, and it's, like, worm-like. He's comparing himself to an eraser whose job is only, he's only good at destroying things, right? Clearing things away, erasing things. Correcting mistakes. And left left behind are little pink worm-like things that are useless. They're waste. And so we just literally, we just brushed them off into the void, never to think about them again. And this is how Henry sees his child and himself, right? A piece of waste floating through an endless void. 
um, worm-like and useless. That, that's how I rationalize it's being called a racer head in this whole uh, It's sequence. beautiful, Greg. Thank you, thank you. I, know I, I don't know how true any of it is, but... So it could just be, you know, you're really you're really into finding the significance of everything, which which is fine. Right. Yeah. Um, but it could just be like, <laughs> oh, I had this this funny dream, so I'm going to put yeah, this dream in. This absolutely. And dream. I think but I kind of wondered if it had to do with um, like when you have kids, they become your life and you so, like maybe don't have an outlet anymore for like intellectual conversations and. Oh, yeah. Uh, anything outside of um, like boring ass kid shit. So that was, I don't know. I don't think that's like the main drive. I think your your explanation sounds good, but I wonder if that's has part of it too. It's just like, oh my brain. No, is that's really. Mush I like that's that. All I don't have any like stimulation, like adult stimulation. I like it because it's a focus too on on the kid removing his head, right? Like the baby yeah. replaces his head. Like his, you're right. His former life is completely null and void. And it's been replaced by by the child. I really like that. That's really interesting. Um, cool. I almost want to watch it again just thinking about that now. <laughs> <laughs> so you, the, he he wakes up from this dream. We have that great shot of just like the again calling back to the bubbles earlier, or even the opening shot with the stars of just okay. these little particles floating through a void. Um, and we're we're about to get to it. So I just want to yeah. ask right up front: What's the plan for the baby? I don't know. I think that's a big reason why he does this, right? Because he realizes it, it can doesn't really have a future, <laughs> right? Like they would take care of it, and yeah, why why keep it alive? Why in the first place bundle it together? I guess just because you can keep it I alive. I just I don't the know. Doctors, like I don't know what their yeah. what their what end their goal was. What like, their plan well, was. It's, it's still it's breathing. It's got a heartbeat. I guess we'll just <laughs> yeah. Again, they as soon as they get married, they're like, okay, you can take babies. it. <laughs> yeah that's a good point i mean even like people with dementia or something they just like stop eating and they can't kill yeah. them they just have to watch them starve to death you know right yeah oh, hold if on only the let baby me get were... in a time machine and call dr kevorkian then i was just gonna say if only the baby were were delivered by dr kevorkian yeah <laughs> could have saved everyone a lot of trouble <laughs> so uh when he wakes up from this dream um, he goes outside briefly and he sees another man going into the woman's apartment. A really creepy looking dude who like looks at him and like kind of just smiles knowingly. It's it's really He's a very it, ugly man. Yeah. Oh yeah, it, it's really free. She has a weird taste in men, I will just say. Um <laughs> So uh this is when the baby starts laughing at him more too. I think it laughed previously, but it starts to laugh at him again. Uh when the woman looks at him after he opens the door before she goes inside her own apartment, she sees the baby's head. Once again, like in place of Henry's head, like screaming silently. And so her perception of Henry is forever changed by the child. Um, so when he goes back inside, he grabs some scissors. We'll just get to it. He cuts open the baby's bandages. Its organs fall out. It's got no body. It's just lungs and a heart and other guts. And it's screaming horribly. It's making these horrible, pathetic noises. It looks like if you've ever done like a, um, yeah. a spatchcock chicken. Like, oh, when yeah. you cut out the spine and you, like, f- lay it flat, it looks yeah. like the non-skin, you know, the inside version just kind of spread out. Yeah, it's it's really, it's really gross. And amazing effects when he then takes the scissors and plunges them, like, into its heart and, like, guts. And 
immediately cream just corn like, comes out cream corn yeah Gar- garmin bosia yeah. right <laughs> right for doing twin peaks callbacks yeah um it starts oozing out it's really disgusting all of the lights in his apartments are like flickering and some of them start bursting and there's just a lot of electricity and stuff um this time i almost thought like is it saying that he then dies in electrical fire because I, I can almost believe that's what happens next no, like. <laughs> the way I was taking it, again, the electricity and the sound is just so amazing. Yeah. The way I was taking it, and what we were get, got into it a little bit earlier, is like the fear of technology, mm-hmm. and that technology will outpace him. Yeah. Thinking about all of the older people, like, it just, it's it's going to happen that, to us even, that we're, yes. you know, we're not on tech, oh, I'm not on TikTok, and like, all these things are just going to start <laughs> passing you by as you get older and older. I like I like your take on this movie that it's it's about TikTok. That's I, I would yeah. love to hear an argument. This movie's about TikTok. Yeah, it's about trends. The whole electricity you by. thing is very Twin Peaks. The Return as well. That sound definitely yeah is like the yeah. same sounds almost. I don't know. It could be the exact same sound or the same like machine. However, they got the sounds could have been the same as in the Return. for sure. Yeah, and there's even that one where um uh the one dude Kyle MacLachlan green suit dude. Um, I keep wanting to say Dewey. Dougie? <laughs> That's from Scream. Yeah, Dougie. Dougie, right? Like, doesn't yeah. he, like, stick something in the electrical socket, socket or something? That's that's how he, like, returns himself to yeah. being... Yeah. Sorry, spoilers for Twin Peaks, but that's, yeah, that's, like, how he solves his problem. Because he sticks a return. fork in an electrical outlet. <laughs> so, yeah, and we get the weird, crazy lights, the electricity sound, and then the giant baby head that is kind of floating. So cool. In the so air. Cool. It's I so love this scary. Thing. It's, it is one of the most horrifying things. I think Lynch and Jack Nance made that. Yeah, they built in his backyard, I think I saw. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but talking about Twin Peaks, I just assumed the head floating around made me think of the end of season three when you have the Bob Orb like flying yeah. around that, that to yeah. me red is like the same type of thing the same sort of feeling of like dispelling an evil spirit is kind of how i saw this time as well of like the baby's dead but it's like spirit is then attacking henry or like you know is is the having ramifications of yeah. what he's done and what he's had to do or forever yes. gonna live with him and haunt him yeah so then we see that the planet that we saw in the beginning it, it breaks open and there's just an empty void inside of it but then we kind of go inside and we see the man in the planet kind of freaking out too and sparking and all this stuff is going on. So you could read it as like Henry has destroyed this diseased part of himself or he believes he has. Because then we get this, it all fades to white, which is unusual for a movie. And we have the woman in the radiator comes out of the, this like heavenly light and she embraces Henry and hugs him. And that's where the movie ends. So that's why I thought maybe this time it's, he's dying. He's being embraced by heaven as well. Right, and then with the electricity, I was like, I just made a weird extrapolation of you know, which would be died close and, and to Barton fire. Fink as well, like in a, a that's house that's fire. A, that's also true. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, maybe the baby was him all along. It was his projection of himself. So when he killed the baby, he killed himself. I think I had that thought this time too, especially in the beginning, because like I said, we open on that scene where he, we see him, we see the baby flying out of his mouth, and then it it kind of like fades to him. I mean, what if you're saying? you know his birth at that moment like that's how henry interprets his own existence like if you're going because i think a big part of this movie getting to the wrap-up part because i know we're we're going pretty long but uh i think this movie is about like having cursed genetics and feeling like you are fucked at like a spiritual soul level 
And so you have to imagine if that's true for Henry, it's probably true for previous generations, right? You extrapolate to like, it's just been a bunch of sickness and disease that has come full circle to make me and now I'm passing on this disease and he wants to put a stop to that possibly so yeah I think seeing the baby as him too is pretty valid interesting take I didn't really take it as him dying but uh, to me it would make sense to me it's not when he's embracing the girl in the radiator with the moon face he's not the look on his face is not happiness or anything Mm -hmm. by, by any means it's more contentness if anything which i think would relate to being dead um and that it is a the lie in heaven everything is fine when you know well in reality it's just a nothingness which could be considered a a form of content yeah maybe it's i don't think of it as like a physical deformities um or like genetic wise i thought maybe he's thinking of just as my my own perception of like having kids and having a fear that like I'm going to pass down like mental illness or something you know yeah, from my family and like absolutely. I'm a shit person so if I have kids are they going to be shit per people or like you know I don't want my kids to to um like be bad people like I am even though it doesn't seem like Henry's a bad person he just kind of like him right. living in filth it seems like he's like oh I'm just a shit I'm just a, a garbage person I live in trash and things so I thought I don't know yeah and to if me, I raise a child more, in this environment right and I'm so terrible I mean my kids are gonna be terrible I can't you know having that fear just having having kids is really scary and that's I don't know. I've been thinking about it a lot because a lot of my kids are, are a lot of my kids, a lot of my friends are having kids too. Even my <laughs> friends who are who are like staunchly anti having children as well, just like suddenly changing their minds. It seems sudden to me, but you know, like, and and I'm still like having kids is fucking scary. In today's age, like, yeah, that's Especially, insane. Yeah. So I think we should we should get to our final thoughts. I think we can break into all our fears of parenthood. Yeah in that uh what are we gonna rate this out of i mean deformed babies man-made chickens spikes yeah (laughs) spikes there's a lot of options man-made chickens uh worms radiators radiators is good i like radiators socks crusty socks (laughs) sorry murph okay yeah we'll do it out of out of out of babies, right? Eraser babies. Eraser head babies. Spikes. Spikes. Yeah. Spikes. Cool. Uh, yeah, I can start. So, uh, I mean, there's so, so much I could say about this, but literally everything you guys have said, your different takes, your different perspectives on things, that is the beauty of a David Lynch movie. And I think beyond almost any of his movies, this one allows you to really run away with what you definitely could interpret things as and how you could perceive things. But we keep coming back to it, the fear of having a child, the fear of fatherhood, right? The fear of reproducing in general. And then you can extrapolate that into so many other fears just about life and existence, about your own life and, you know, uh, who you are deep down. And is it good to spread that and, like, or, you know, make another human being when you are who you are? It's, 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 It's so primal and so effective in what it does it's also just like a lot of david lynch things very very funny in its own way um on top of all the darkness and bleakness and and really gross aspects i keep coming back to but the texture of this movie like you watch this movie and it feels like nothing else not even just like and feeling i mean in terms of like you feel like you could actually 
you know what these things would feel like if you touch them. They would feel fleshy and gross and slimy. Uh, Sweaty. Exactly. The sounds Very give visceral. you such an impression of what of what these things are and, and how it would what would it be like to actually be there, you know, in Henry's shoes. And I think Jack Nance is such a great character in this. We talked about how it's it's kind of shocking when he speaks, but he is really good when he does speak. He's got that on-edge nervousness down. Again, it, it speaks with certain social anxiety, that whole scene with the parents. Every side character is really interesting and, and, and um, you know, oftentimes funny. Uh, man, I, 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 there's just no way this is not get five out of five spikes. I, it, it's one of my favorite all-time movies. It's absolutely incredible. Favorite pieces of art in general. I mean, like, art does not get much better than this for me. I definitely figured when you said it is your favorite Lynch, it's getting the five. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's tough to say because I, I, I really do love Firewalk With Me as well, and Mulholland Drive, and Lost Highway, and so many other things he's done. Um, but uh, I keep coming back to Racerhead, and I think he keeps coming back to a lot of stuff in this movie, whether consciously or unconscious, I'm sure consciously. But like, uh, it's just clear that he, he fit in so much of his personal like hang-ups and artistic ideas into this, and then keeps finding new interesting ways to riff on these same ideas. I really like that. Kill, you want to go? Sure. Um, I enjoyed this movie. I think uh, having seen it when I was younger, I probably would have given it around three stars. Not really fully understood it. Just kind of thought this is a kind of weird. But now I have a, a better appreciation for it, and I'm embracing the weirdness in things. Surrealism is like my favorite kind of art. Um, so this just, it, it was like viewing it for the first time, kind of. It's been a while. And from, like, a new perspective. Um, but, like, John Waters is one of John Waters' favorite films. It's Bukowski's oh, yeah. favorite film. Oh, yeah. makes a lot of sense. Um, Kubrick had the cast of The Shining watch this movie before they started shooting to get in the right uh, frame of mind. Um, even George Lucas asked him to direct Return of the Jedi and like, turned that down. <laughs> Based on it. So, yeah. Um, so that's, I mean, it's obviously, like, a pretty fantastic piece of art here. Uh, very, very weird. Just so visceral, too. I loved the textures, and I feel like I I need to watch it again and again. It's one of those movies that I'll probably appreciate more every time I watch it and, like, see different little things every time I see it, too. Um, like, to have a better understanding of it. So I, I would give it, I think I'm going to give it 4.3 spike, spikes. Hell yeah. Very All nice. right. Uh, thinking of it, I had meant to say, but John Waters is one of the reasons why this movie got uh, as popular as it was. Apparently, he was the one saying, oh, you guys should go and see this. Yeah. And then that's why it kind of got one of the, like, a midnight movie. That totally basically. makes sense as, as the person who made Pink Flamingos. Like, that became a huge, right, underground midnight movie success. Yeah. For then him to levy that and to, like... Oh yeah, also see This Eraserhead. is the stuff yeah. I like you should go see as well. Have yeah. you seen this actually, this photo was going around Twitter very recently, the photo of uh John Waters meeting David Lynch for the first time? No. So they I'll met at they met at Bob's Big Boy and there's a photo of them shaking hands in front of the Bob's Big Boy statue and it's like it's it's perfect. It's like you could not want anything else from them meeting for the first time. That sounds like a very yeah, David Lynch type of thing. So, so I, I, I mean this was it. <laughs> This was in his book, um, 
uh, Room to Dream, his recent memoir, but he used to eat at Bob's Big Boy like, literally every single day. Yeah. Like every single day he would have a burger and a milkshake and coffee from Bob's Big Boy. It is insane he's still alive. Like with how much he smokes and all that stuff he, he oh, eats. Don't even say it, Greg. We're not I know, even I'm sorry. Gonna, I'm sorry. We're not even going to pretend that he's not invulnerable to yeah. everything. I think I interrupted your your rating. I'm sorry. Yeah, it just he he again is it's what he's my favorite uh filmmaker and I I could say probably artist. I I would be hard put to to say out of like any painter or sculptor or musician that I appreciate more than Lynch and just the different facets that you can take all of his art. Absolutely. I I think this is such a strong opening like we've said a lot of the things that he later brings up is already within a racer head so we already had a lot of things he was trying and wanting to say and i think he perfects it later on but this is just a such a strong out of the gate film that even if he's not wanting to be as precise about what it's about it's kind of there but it's there for everyone to interpret on their own yeah. Uh, which is the great thing about art. I would have to go... I think I'm just going to have to go a 4.5 uh, deformed baby spikes. It's, All right. It's, hey. it's wonderful. It's it's so close. I can't give it five because it's not Mulholland Drive or you know, <laughs> Lost Highway or Blue Velvet. And I think those are just are like pinnacles of his achievements in, in filmmaking. So, so you're saying it's it, 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 close. Uh, it lacks the sex appeal, I think, is the, the factor for you. <laughs> <laughs> Not you know, I mean, now that yeah. I mean, you mentioned it, all of the other ones I mentioned are so much more sexier. There is a huge facet of sexuality in all those other... I mean, it's in this one too, but you're right, where he's explicitly trying to be attract you know have making things attractive and and sexual about one what it films, is yeah. to be attract like mm-hmm. uh, you know blue velvet there's a lot yeah. of really harsh scenes and like lost highway is all about that as well oh man so. it's a big i love lost highway because that to me is also another movie where he's talking about like the intricacies of marriage a part of his is yes. that right um and i love that aspect yeah to my point again he is such a great translator i love the scene where after this the switch in lost highway where it plays lou reads this magic moment as the guy is seeing patricia arquette as a blonde yeah. for the first time it is amazing one of yeah. the most moving like pieces of a film i've ever and you're right seen. that is that is a moment that lives and dies on its like sex appeal too is when he's watching get out of the car and you have to believe yeah. that he's gonna then murder her for her <laughs> and you do mm-hmm. yeah um yeah. so yeah hey great ratings all around for Eraserhead. uh makes me very happy to talk about this movie and talk about david lynch at all and it makes me very happy when we all enjoy a movie especially one like this so uh yeah, I think all it's left to do um, is to then pass it off to Murph to announce what we're watching next week. So I figured we would do, uh, you know, like I said, I don't think this is, is exactly a hell spawn. I think there's a lot of things that get us into it. I think it's perfect because it brings in the fear of parenthood and that you may create that. So I figured we would go with the 1993 thriller the good son starring <gasps> macaulay culkin and elijah wood oh i think i have mentioned i don't remember if i've mentioned this podcast or not but uh we'll talk about this again next week i'm sure but i have seen 
only parts of this movie when I was really young, and it freaked me the fuck out. So I am excited. I have never seen it, and it seems like a perfect movie for this month. That absolutely, hey, let's get it watched. I Hell haven't yeah. seen it either. I've also seen little snippets of it, and like I know what happens, but yeah, great. Another one for us all to kind of get together and and see for the all first right. Time. Well, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, thank you all for listening. You can always reach us. Email weeklypodcastmassacre at gmail.com. We have both Twitter and Instagram at weeklymassacre. Let us know what you think of David Lynch and Eraserhead. If you're scared of having a deformed baby, if you do have a deformed baby and what your coping mechanisms are, you know, let us know. <laughs> reach out. Yeah, uh, and you can reach out on Twitter and Instagram at Weekly Massacre or email address. I, think I said that. Uh, oh, did you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was. I. I literally. I, I just thought of how I forgot. I wanted to bring this up. I, yeah. I. I was just thinking about how. Uh, I will say this real quick. Um, there's another podcast out there called The Best Little Horror House in Philly, a great horror podcast, uh, hosted by the uh, very smart and very funny George, and he did a great Eraserhead episode that I re-listened to uh, leading up to this. So I recommend people check out that if you want to hear more Eraserhead discussion. Yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess the only thing left for us to do is sign off. Uh, are we going to sound like a baby? <laughs> uh, Bye. We, we, we did meow last time. Wah. Yeah, I like that. I assume Kill will not be participating again. Making baby noises? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> See you next time. Bye.